The Vengeance of Cast From Mr. Punch's Dramatic Sequels By St. John Hankin This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Cast Most people in their day have wept tears of relief at the ending of T. W. Robertson's comedy Cast, when the Honorable George Dalroy, not dead, poor chap, falls into the arms of his wife, Esther, while his father-in-law, Eccles, bestows a drunken benediction upon him before starting for Jersey, and his sister-in-law, Polly, and her adored plumber, Garage, embrace sympathetically in the background. In these circumstances it seems hardly kind to add a further act in this harrowing drama. But the writer of sequels, like Nemesis, is inexorable. If the perusal of the following scene prevents any young subaltern from emulating Daltroy and marrying a ballet dancer with a drunken father, it will not have been written in vain. Dramatis Personae Esther Dalroy Read by Amanda Friday. George the Aldroy, read by Lambda. Maid, read by Charlotte Duckett. Eccles, read by Todd. Narrated by Capricia Page. Scene The dining room of the Dalroy's house in the suburbs. Dinner is just over, and George Dalroy, in a seedy coat and carpet slippers, is sitting by the fire smoking a pipe. On the other side of the fire sits Esther, his wife, darning a sock. Tired, George. Yes. Had a bad day in the city. Beastly. I believe I am the unluckiest beggar in the world. Every stock I touch goes down. Why don't you give up speculating if you're so unlucky? George, hurt. I don't speculate, dear. I invest. Why don't you give up investing, then? It makes a dreadful hole in our income. One must do something for one's living. Esther, sighing. Oh, what a pity it is you left the army. I had to. The regiment wouldn't stand your father. He was always coming to the mess room when he was drunk and asking for me. So the colonel said I would better send in my papers. Esther, gently. Not drunk, George. The colonel said so, and he was rather a judge. Esther, unable to improve upon her old phrase. Father is a very eccentric man, but a very good man, when you know him. George grimly. If you mean by eccentric a man who is always drunk and won't die, he is most eccentric. Hush, dear. After all, he's my father. That's my objection to him. I'm afraid you must have lost a great deal of money today. Pretty well. But I have noticed that retired military men who go into the city invariably do lose money. Why do they go into the city, then? George gloomily. Why, indeed? There is a short pause. George stares moodily at the fire. I had a visit from your mother today. How was she? Not very well. She has aged sadly in the last few years. Her hair is quite white now. George, half to himself. 
poor mother poor mother she was very kind she asked particularly after you and she saw little george gently i think she is getting more reconciled to our marriage do you really dear looks at her curiously yes and i think it's such a good thing how strange it is that people should attach such importance to class distinctions forgive me dear but if you think it strange that marcus de Samour does not consider mr eccles and the garages wholly desirable connections i am afraid i cannot agree with you of course papa is a very eccentric man my dear esther mr eccles made his hundred and fifty-sixth appearance in the police court last week the fact was made the subject of jocular comment in the cheaper evening papers the sentence was five shillings or seven days poor papa felt his position acutely not half so acutely as i did i paid the five shillings if he had only consented to remain in jersey but you know jersey didn't suit him he was never well there he was never sober there that was the only thing that was the matter with him no my love let us look at facts in the face you are my dear little woman but your father is detestable and there is not the smallest ground for hope that my mother will ever be reconciled to our marriage as long as she retains her reason i suppose father is rather a difficulty yes he and the garages between them have made us impossible socially what's the matter with the garages nothing except that you always ask them to all our dinner parties and as gentle people have a curious prejudice against sitting down to dinner with a plumber and a glazier it somewhat narrows our circle of acquaintance but sam isn't a working plumber now he has a shop of his own quite a large shop and their house is just as good as ours the furniture is better sam bought polly a new carpet for the drawing-room only last week it cost fourteen pounds and our drawing-room carpet is dreadfully shabby i am glad they are getting on so well with a flicker of hope do you think there is any chance as they grow more prosperous of their dropping us esther indignantly how can you think of such a thing george sighing i was afraid not esther enthusiastically why sam is as kind as can be and so is polly and you know how fond they are of little george poor child yes he has always played with their children ever since he could toddle and what is the result a cockney accent that is indescribable what does it matter about his accent so long as he is a good boy and grows up to be a good man ethically my dear not at all but practically it matters a great deal it causes me intense physical discomfort and i think it is killing my mother george moreover when the time comes for him to go to public school he will probably be very unhappy in consequence why merely irrational prejudice public school boys dislike all deviations from the normal and to them happily a pronounced cockney accent represents the height of abnormality 
Esther sadly. In spite of our marriage, I'm afraid you're still a worshipper of caste. I thought you turned your back on all that when you married me. So I did, dear, so I did. But I don't want to commit my son to the same hazardous experiment. Ah, George, you don't really love me, or you wouldn't talk like that. My dear, I love you to distraction. That's exactly the difficulty. I am torn between my devotion to you and my abhorrence of your relations. When your father returned from Jersey and took a lodging close by us, nothing but the warmth of my affection prevented me from leaving you forever. He is still here, and so am I. What greater proof could you have of the strength of my attachment? Poor father, he could not bear to be away from us, and he has grown so fond of little George. George shudders. Father has a good heart. I wish he had a stronger head. This remark is prompted by the sound of Mr. Eccles entering the front door and having a tipsy altercation with the maid. Maid announcing, Mr. Eccles. Eccles joyously. Hey, evening. Me children. Bless you, bless you. Good evening, father. Won't you speak to your old father-in-law, Georgie? George says nothing. Ah, oh, pride, pride, cruel pride! You come before a fall, you do! Lurches heavily against the table, and subsides into a chair. Funny that! Almost <laughs> seemed as if that proverb was a coming true that time! George sternly. How often have I told you, Mr. Eccles, not to come to this house except when you're sober? Eccles, raising his voice in indignant protest. Sober? <laughs> Perfectly sober. Sober as a judge. I am afraid I can't argue with you as to the precise stage of intoxication in which you find yourself. You had better go home at once. Do you hear that, Esther? Do you hear that, me child? Yes, father. I think you had better go home. You're not very well tonight. Eccles, rising unsteadily from his chair. All right, Esther. I'm going. Good night, Georgie. George, with the greatest politeness. Good night, Mr. Eccles. If you could possibly manage to fall down and damage yourself seriously on the way home, I should be infinitely obliged. Eccles begins to weep. There's words to address to a loving <gasps> father-in-law. There's words. Lurches out. I think, George, you had better see him home. It's not safe for him to be alone in that state. George, savagely. Safe? I don't want him to be safe. Nothing would give me greater satisfaction than to hear he had broken his neck. Esther gently. But he might meet a policeman, George. Ha! Ah, that's another matter. Perhaps I would better see the beast into a cab. Esther sighing. Ah! Oh, you never understood, poor father. A crash is heard from the hall, as Eccles lurches heavily and upsets the hat-stand. George throws up his hand in despair at the wreck of the hall furniture, or perhaps at the obtuseness of his wife's last remark, and goes out to call a cab. Curtain End of The Vengeance of Caste